Hey everybody, this is Rob Benedict. I just wanted to take a minute and say happy holidays and happy new year to all of our listeners. And thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen to our podcast over the last year and a half. And um, we appreciate you. And a special shout out to our Patreon peeps. Uh, thank you for subscribing. And uh, if you're not a subscriber, Check us out over on Patreon.com, search Kings of Con podcast, and uh, join. Um, at uh, We have lots of different Baldwin levels, actually just two. And um, yeah, get some extra bonus treats from me, and sometimes Rich. No, lots of times Rich. Um, all right, and now, without further ado, here's a new episode. Hey, hey, what's going on? Rob and Rich are the kings of con. Live from Fartoon Studios and wherever Rich is, it's Kings of Con, the podcast. This week's guest, Kings of Con, Mark Shepard. You know, Rob and I did uh, a little podcast the other day, a couple, I guess maybe a couple weeks ago now. But we did the three, two, one clap. And on my end, it was literally the first time ever it was exactly synced. It was like, boom. And Rob was like, oh, what a train wreck. You're jerking me around. I'm like, there's definitely an internet <laughs> difference here. Like, it, it, it's some, it's not us. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. You know? So. But it also, it's Rich. But not us. Yeah. Not it's, us. But it's also me. Uh, yeah, Rich, so, how funny was that the, when Hank responded to you last? Like, oh, one, so two, funny. three, four, fuck you, Avenue. It's so funny. It definitely like, not you. Definitely not your voice. You know what I mean? I went like, out with Hank last night, and Hank was. I showed him a picture or something. He had my phone, and while he's looking at my phone, Richard Pipes just texts me randomly, "What's your address?" So I just saw him punching something in, and I don't know what he was doing. I was like, "What'd you just do?" And he responded, "One, two, three, fuck you, Avenue." <laughs> it's actually one, two, three, four, fuck you. It was, it was the twelve hundred block. Uh, ah, fuck you, the Avenue. Perfect Hank response. It was yeah. very funny. Um, I, and and so part of the fun of doing this last podcast, Tina, was Rob and I realized after two years of doing this, I mean, it was the first mm -hmm. time we've been in the same room. Yeah. I know. It, I it totally changed the dynamic. I was like, whoa. I mean. Yeah, yeah we texted you that picture, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're together. Yeah. It definitely <laughs> makes, I mean, maybe made Rob and I think, man, you know, I should be rolling over to his Fartoon Studios to be doing this because. Yeah. I know. It, and so we went out after we had a drink. We said, hey, Thursday or Friday, you're coming did, over to my we house. Did, we did say that, didn't we? And so here we, here we are. <laughs> oh, well. Back on here Thursday. We are. I mean, okay. it's, a, it's after school. All the kids are out. It's tough. But but we should, if we can do it, it, it was pretty great. No, no, no. Yeah. So, so, okay, let's get this party started. Um, okay, Mark Andreas Shepard. Andreas? Uh-huh. Like an Andreas. So if it's his fault, we can say, well, it's Andreas' fault. Andreas' fault. Um, is an English actor and musician, drummer. He's often credited as Mark A. Shepard. Mark um, A. Shepard. Mark A. Shepard. And that's why I thought it was appropriate to get him on for Christmas. Right. Um, Shepard is known for playing the demon King of Hell Crowley on Supernatural and for his recurring roles as Romo Lampkin on Battlestar Galactica, uh, Interpol investigator James Sterling on Leverage, and small-time crime lord Badger on Joss Whedon's Firefly, amongst many, many other things. Oh, yeah. Finally, the day has come. Well, we can welcome the one and only Mark Mark Shepard. Shepard. To He's so close. I can feel it. I'm on pins and needles. Oh. Mark. I admitted him. It's like he's it's almost. Huh? 
Huh? Wait. Huh? Yay! Huh? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> yes! Hey! I want to be at that back backyard. What's up, Mark? How's it going? It, it's going very well. Dude, long time Finally. no see. What's going down? Is that a is that a head of you or me on your shelf? That's, that's me. It's, are you sure, okay. Rob? It could yeah. be. I it don't could know. be me. I went to the yeah. I went to the head shop, and I said, yeah. <laughs> "What do you have in a shepherd?" He said. Um, okay, so where in the world are you, Carmen Miranda? Well, uh, Rob's in his home studio. Yeah, I'm in the home office, so I'm in Los Angeles, California, as well. And Tina's mm. in a trailer. But also Los Angeles, California. I'm on set right now. Yeah, so. I, took a little, I snuck away. <laughs> and you, I assume, are in your glorious backyard. I'm in the backyard. Yeah. Nice. Lovely. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah that's nice. so cool. Yeah, dude. Nice fountain. Wow. It's awesome. And uh, smoking a cigar. That's as it. You like to do. Smoking a stogie. Healing. Yeah, is that is that all good. new? Yeah. He's showing us his uh, tattooed arm. Wait a minute. So that's. It's fantastic. All new. Very That's nice. substantial, Dude. man. Oh. That's awesome. Well, you remember, I used to have them at the top of my arm. Yeah, so. yeah. How much does that hurt? Gonna, uh, right now? Yeah. Quite a lot, actually. Does it? That was Monday, so I'll be back in tomorrow. How many oh days God. have you been doing? How long has this that, process been on the new tattoos? Like five sessions of seven to ten hours each. Good. Wow. Gravy. Wow, that's no joke. Are you doing it yeah. in the what 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 area? Where where are you doing this? In LA, it's a, a very weird story. An old friend of mine, Kevin Quinn, who was quite a famous tattooist, he uh, we we had a mutual friend, uh, and uh, I knew him thirty odd years ago, and he tattooed at Sunset Strip. He tattooed a hanky panky in uh, uh, in in Amsterdam, and he was just a really famous guy. He, like. The famous story about him uh, tattooing Guns N' Roses. He went on tour with them for like three or four months and traveled the world with them. And then Duff one day, I think when Duff got sober, he turned around, he goes, man, you were on tour with us. I'm just so sorry I never got tattooed by you. And Kevin was like, I did that one. I did that one. <laughs> I did that one. It was, uh, yeah. Jeez. So he and I are survivors of an era. I think uh, he was a, he's a great musician. I'm actually wearing a shirt in his honor. Oh, cool from detroit oh nice awesome that's awesome family shirt nothing says merry christmas kids like a syringe uh right yeah, there on the t yeah, well it's, it's kind of the embodiment the of, t's of detroit. in detroit are both syringes for those following along in the podcast <laughs> right there you go exactly wow. Is, is that the name oh, of the band baker, baker drivetrain no 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 that's actually baker drivetrain is is uh Transmissions for Harley Davidson motorcycles. Mm. That's the best way to, to explain it to you. Well, that's, cool. so, if you have to ask, you're not a Harley. <laughs> well, look, you, you got to remember, I, I didn't start out as an actor. I started out as a musician. Right. So there's a whole part of my history which is connected to me surviving uh, that era of my life. And as you both know very, very well, I stopped playing for 20 years after I got sober. I just I didn't pick up a pair of drumsticks. I didn't do anything. And uh, bizarrely enough, thanks to Loud and Swain and you and uh, and uh, especially I think Billy kind of bullied me into playing one day. It did. And it was, it turned it, into yeah, was that your uh, it was your panel. So you're on stage at your panel and sort of answer questions, not as a musician, but sort of as an actor. And and Billy was like, well, let's see it then. Get on the drum kit. You're like, yeah. all right. 
I got in the drum kit and we played uh, Back in Black. And you. The nicest thing that Billy said afterwards is, oh, you play drums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, now you play drums. And, 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 yeah, yeah. and in typical yeah. Mark Shepard form, it was, uh, it, it's a great band story. You, you played it. And then you told us that we were playing it wrong. <laughs> You're playing it too fast. It wrong. <laughs> but that's but that's Mark Shepard for thank you guys. <laughs> You're playing exactly. it wrong. That's <laughs> Mark Shepard for that was really fun, guys. Yeah. Which is why I keep Robin Rich around is to translate all yeah, the, the Shepherd. Uh, we speak Shepard. Uh, so so Mark, I have a question well, for you. You're talking about yeah. your music years. What and you're talking about that era. What what time frame like from when to when when is yeah. your sort of your music window so i started i started playing drums around 12 years old and uh my dad lived in a house with the mother of uh uh, uh the drummer from madness woody who became the drummer of madness at that and what point. city give also, me a city where are you at this point that was in london right. and uh That's that england. was in london england and she was the floor manager of top of the pops which was the chart show in yeah, england big deal so they had thousands of records. So I was listening to, you know, obscure, obscure, interesting vinyl at around, you know, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14 years old. And I bought my first drum kit off Woody when I think I was 12 or 13. And uh, yeah, I ended up working in a drum shop on Portobello Road in London. And then I ended up making records from about the age of 15 onwards. I was signed to Rough Trade and I probably made, 30 or so albums and as a as a studio drummer or with a certain band as a studio drummer with certain bands i was with the tv personalities and i was with ancillary bands to that who it's, it's the weird bands that in the very very early 80s were the musicians musician bands you know what right. i'm saying they're the bands that sort of influenced other bands so i first played with robin hitchcock when i was 17 um in i'd say 1980 and i finished playing with him in 1981 i was the, I, just a kid then i toured with him and bizarrely enough when i finished uh when i finished supernatural i went out and toured with him again in 2017. Oh, that's great so uh, i went out and played you know 40 years of his music and had a lot of fun doing so now when robin when you were playing with robin hitchcock and you were 17 what's the age gap there like what's is he is he also was he 19 or you know, what's it robin's 64 Five sixty-six, I think. So he's uh, so he's early twenties at that point. Yeah, he's, eight, he's eight years older, nine years older yeah, than okay. me. And, and that, and, you know, he was in the Soft Boys, and the Soft Boys were like my favorite band. I went, I went up to him once at a uh, uh, at a gig and said, uh, um, "Can I play in your band?" And so he was like, uh, "Okay." So we did it. Wow! <laughs> wow, that's a. That's how all negotiations go, kids. So if you're dreaming of being a drummer, all negotiations should go, especially in our just business. Just walk up to your favorite best. musician and say, "Can I be in your band?" And that's how you get in the band. Um, so absolutely. and so you when did so no acting at that point for you? Um, well, when I was 17 years old, um, a casting director. There was a lot of weird things going on in London, like you know, Spinal Tap was being cast out of London and and sort of stuff. And I was a drummer, so they were asking if I, you know, maybe interested or whatever. And I, I wasn't particularly interested in doing that. I don't know why. Well, but I think any drummer from Spinal Tap, it's only like a day of work because then <laughs> yeah, you, you explode. <laughs> the spontaneous combustion yeah. element was not my favorite part. But uh, then there was this film that came up, and and with this film. Um, uh, it would have it would have changed the trajectory of what I was doing at the time, and I, I came second to a very very good actor, 
And I got offered another film and I just turned it down and I said, no, I don't want to do this because I didn't like the rejection. So now I do it for a living. Yeah, funny how that works. <laughs> Wait, so can what, we know what, what was it was? The film? What, you, yeah. what you missed out on and who the actor was? Yeah, I know what it was. Two big films. You can't tell us? <laughs> well, yeah, Tim Roth got both the roles, which I thought was quite ah. funny. So the first one was Made in Britain, uh, which was amazing. Was it and Guildenstern? No. No, the second one was The, the Hit. Ah. The current stamp. Oh, nice. So, um, oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was one of those, one of those weird things. I decided to go make a record instead. So, at the time that film was being made, I was at Rockfield in Wales, where they did Bohemian Rhapsody, doing a Barracudas record. Wow. And so I just, I toured the world. World. I mean, I watched Spinal Tap. The first time I watched Spinal Tap, I didn't laugh because <laughs> everything that ever happened in Spinal Tap had happened to me. At that Too close time. to home. It was literally. I mean, I've had band members arrested okay. and taken to hospital through gigs. Pay attention. I got Richard. Frank in here to see news in the world. Hey, Frank. I haven't seen Frank in ages. Dude, the, the, well, I'm, and I haven't seen uh, any of your children in ages. And I'm sure they're, I was thinking about your, your kids. Cause I know, Oh, there's Frank waving. Say hi. There's Frank. Hey Frank. My God, you're getting As I'm saying like he's growing up. Good looking boy. Yeah. Takes after his mother. As we like to say, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say something else, but this is a family. Show. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but and they're or like, or he takes after his father, whoever that might be, or, or, or potentially. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Thank you, Rob. You just spared me the ignominy of that. It really is sort of the, the 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 softball, like, ah, <laughs> and you guys are like, who's picking up the bat? All right, yeah. fine. yes, he's um, I, All the kids have grown. I mean, I'm sure your kids, Williams, have got to be, you know, Max is six six foot tall, 22 years old, playing jazz piano. Williams, uh, 16, just doing. Getting ready to determine what he wants to do, and he starts. I had to go buy two cars last week. What? Jeez. I had to buy two cars last week. I've got kids who right. drive cars. It's mind blowing. Yeah, luckily, luckily, I've got some connections and stuff because the God, the prices are terrifying. But they're safe, and that's done, and we're all good. Great. I'm working. I'm busy and doing stuff, and finally got a couple of weeks off so good. it's good it's great now you're I, I i'm going back i'm circling back to the music journey just because i find yeah. it fascinating because as as many conversations as as you and i've had mark music has not been the topic of most of them like so I, i'm interested in knowing so you you're offered these movies and you're like man this ain't this ain't for me i'm a i'm a i'm a band guy i, want, I like the live i like the recording oh, i chickened out i chickened out it was that that classic anxiety meets um rejection concept at about sort of 17 18 years old right. the great the great story the you know the bookend to that is i went back after i got sober i went back to england and went uh, done a play in la because i was the last person in la they could find to do it it was ridiculous and it was it was a big deal at the time it was back when 100 seat theater actually meant something right. i mean I think, I think fishburne was doing two trains running ed, ed harris was doing scar at the met mm -hmm. there was um Oh God, it was incredible. I think uh, Kentucky Cycle had just started. Oh, God, I, I mean, it was one of those. Wow. Like, it, was, it was an amazing yeah. time in theater. Yeah. In LA. And so I did I did Cock and Bull Story with, with uh, Trevor Goddard. And it was directed by Billy Hayes, the author and protagonist of Midnight Express. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I managed to piss off on the first day by saying, I guess you don't go to Turkey on your holidays then. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> probably too soon. It was invented from that moment. Well, I mean, it had been, it had been 1978 yeah. or whatever. Wow. I figured I it might be over. I still think it's too soon. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, clearly. He was actually more pissed off that the movie didn't the end the way he wanted it to end. He actually escaped in the rowboat. So he turned around to Alan Parker at the end of the film and said, so where's the rowboat? 
And Alan Parker said, which 45 minutes of the film would you like me to cut out and put the robot? Yeah. In? Huh. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. But uh, so I did this play and it, it seemed very natural for me to do. And then I went back to the people who tried to cast me in these films in England and I went did some amends and some fun stuff. And uh, all those sort of things you do when you get sober. And they were like, well, about time. And one of them said, uh, well, I'm doing this film and you're completely wrong for it, but you never know. And it sort of ended this incredible story of insanity. And I was like, the third person cast in In the Name of the Father, which was my first film. Amazing. Amazing. And I, I had no idea what to do as an actor. I mean, I was doing this play and a wonderful old, you remember Barbara Clayman? You guys must remember Barbara Clayman. Barbara Clayman. Not re- she did, um, she worked for Stu Siegel a lot back in the day. Okay. And uh, she came to the play and she was like, do you have a SAG card? And I'm like, um, no, do I need one? So she taffed Hartley me in silk stockings. <laughs> wow. I was like, okay. You're lucky that's all, all that happened here in silk stockings. You know what I'm saying? You know, kind of show. <laughs> no, I didn't put me in silk stockings. She put me in silk stockings. Um, but, There's um, a lot of people at home who do not know what silk stockings is. Everybody in the world knows what I'm silk stockings I'm telling you, there's a generation of people is. who don't, and they're now Googling you wearing silk stockings. They're going to like, what? when did he wear? <laughs> stockings, stockings. Yeah, that's not what they're going to Google. Rob Estes and Mitzi Capture. Dude, and, Rob uh, Estes. There, there's a there's a name. I haven't heard that remember, name. Long. Remember Charlie Brill? I love Charlie Brill, the comedian, wonderful guy. But uh, you know, it just ended up with that, and a, you know, a bunch of agents came to the show because it was a big hit, and we're like, "Hey, do you have an agent?" And I'm like, "Do I need one?" Right. So I signed to an agent, and then it just became this thing, and I ended up doing X Files, and so I started killing. But at this point, had you had you you said earlier that you. You got sober and you gave up the drums once you got sober. So was this during your sober period? Were you sober during this period? Yeah, I connected shooting heroin and, and drinking with uh, drums, with with playing music. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know how to not do it that right. way. Right. That's why it was so cool when you finally did it again, first starting with us and then, of course, getting back together with Robin, was that you, you discovered that you still were good at it. You still had a love for it. Sober. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, without 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 you and the boys and Rich, um, it was an amazing journey. And we, we took, I mean, I watched you guys. This is, this is a band I really like. So I watched Loud and Sway and I'm going, why are they wearing these hats? And why are they <laughs> yeah, playing well. this crap? Yeah. I mean, they really play. Let's give, let's give I mean, a backstory there. That was back when, when yeah. Loud and Swain started doing Supernatural conventions. And people who are loyal listeners yeah, know the story. But to recap, the only way we could get the boys on the roster was to make up a fake band name and make them a cover band. So, which, which I did swearing on a stack of Bibles that it would work and we'd be able to get them out of the gate, out yeah. of the wigs. I think and, it's important to note that, that Rich was the mastermind of the entire thing. Yeah. And it, and it worked, but I, but there was definitely a lot of trust of like, you want me to do <laughs> what and play what now? Wearing we what? We weren't a cover band. We didn't do covers. And the idea was we were going to do cover songs. Well, then let's not be ourselves because that's not Loud and Swain. Yeah, they that became the, the Elastic idea. Waistband. Yeah. And they all had personas. <laughs> and wigs and everything, yeah. I need a photograph to be put up at this point yes. of Mike Borja <laughs> in the hat yes. and the wig that he would wear on a continuous I don't basis. know, Mike Borja. You must be referring to Sir Richard Furlong, his alter ego, which was what yeah, we called remember? him during that oh, period. He was, wow. he was English. He had a really <laughs> yeah. bad English accent. Robbie, for the uh, for, for the Patreon video, maybe you'll slap this vi- the the photo for sure. up for yeah for sure. Oh, it's it, it's kind of scary, but to, but to love music as I love music, as we all love music, and to have this connection to music, and to watch 
this, you know, I mean, it's it, 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 nothing to do with creation. I mean, is that nobody had ever thought of the idea mm-hmm. of putting a proper band or doing a proper gig or doing a proper thing together. And, and it was this very interesting time where we convinced, I think the three of us convinced um, the bosses at creation, uh, Gary and Adam, to give it a go mm-hmm. because, you know, everything was done through a vocal PA and everything was done mm-hmm. um, on the lower scale because nobody was thinking about a concert. Right. right. And it very, very quickly turned into something rather wonderful and became a, um, I'd say, a runaway success. I think it was so. great. It was really, you, you two really, for lack of a better word, shepherded it um, yeah. and uh, really kind of made it happen um, and, and, and allowed us to be ourselves. And, you know, uh, now they got a really good sound system. They don't have a good, still don't have lights. No. But you know what Mark did? I'll tell you because it was it was a a a team effort, and I remember because I had sort of greased the wheels to get the band there to start with, and then gotten the idea going of doing something like that. And Mark picked up the ball, and what what you were able to do, Mark, which was like completely Swahili to everybody else, is you convinced them to think of it as a band, not actors playing music, and that's what changed the whole like thing. Because we and, are, and subsequently, right. but subsequently, what was beautiful about it, what was extraordinary about it, was to see all the talent that these actors, who some of whom had never sang publicly and never done anything publicly, being eased into a really good band, being eased into it, and being shown that it was possible, and then I mean, just watching them working their butts off, trying to trying to give the best performance they could possibly give and having the support of, of, a, of a great show behind them. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it went from this tiny little thing to a 53 foot truck, you know, yeah. I mean, it was, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And I, I loved every minute of it. It was one, it was, it was the saving grace of the amount of traveling that we had to yeah. do and the amount of, uh, of work that we were doing at the time. Yeah. So, it, it, and, but it rekindled my love of what it was that we were doing. And, and I was, I'm eternally grateful to you guys for that. It was fun. I, I think, I think the payback was the hamster at at uh, Comic Con, but that was. Uh, there are there are great moments in entertainment, and that is one of them. <laughs> it might so be again, for a limited. It's for a limited six thousand people, uh, you know, audience who saw it live. It's one of those things you had to be there, but you yeah. know, for those who were there. What I, loved, what I loved was the fact that you were both terrified that I wasn't going to go with the game. One hundred percent. Oh, yeah. 100% terrifying. We had scenarios in our head. This is the first time we'd ever hosted Comic-Con. They had begged us to show them a script of what we were going to do, and we'd refused because we didn't want, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want our jokes vetted because then, like, that never goes well. And we're like, well, we're going to do this thing, and and we're going to do it. And we're like, we'd run through scenarios. Like, oh, Mark is going to either be stone-faced, storm off stage, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, ma- maybe lean into it, but I doubt it. But anyway, we had a st- we had a storm off stage scenario scenario planned out. And, you had one built. What were you going to do if I stormed off stage? We're going to burst into tears. And I, I think, <laughs> but he was going to go, Robbie, tears. <clears throat> and Rob and I swore on each, we swore on a stack of Bibles. We're like, we're not going to tell anybody about this until we're just going to do it on stage. Cut to Rob backstage, 15 minutes before we go on, like pulling Misha aside going, so uh, we're going to do this bit. And Misha's like, oof. Bad idea. Like, like, and so I'm not, like, so Rob did the thing he swore he wouldn't do and got the response we knew he'd get, which was, unless you see this thing, you, you it doesn't sound right. like it's going to work. You and know? then I said to Rich, I was like, we shouldn't do it, we shouldn't do it. Sweating. But we, it. We it was so, but it was so perfect. So, but the bottom line was, is that, 
you know, with, look, you've got, you've got to start from the basis that it's all about love. The, the fact that we have an audience that we have and that we've been able to be ourselves in so many situations right. and actually genuinely go through the things we've gone through in life, you know, survive the things we've survived in life, yeah. um, you know, births, marriages, deaths, near-death experiences, everything that's happened, we've done rather publicly. Yeah. I think it's kind of extraordinary yeah. if you think about it. Everybody says, oh, you know, I'm in a show, it's a family. And you're like, oh, God, you know, you start, you start cringing because, because, you know, I mean, the reason we came up with Supernatural Family was because we were sick of the idea of fanatic. We always hated the word fanatic and fan and that idea that it was something uh, like an us and them thing we didn't we didn't like yeah well and also worthy of derision and worthy of, of of mimicry and and you know we knew our audience really really well and you know to the upshot of that is you can take this in any direction it's like you know every single day of our lives we bump into somebody who, who, who's a fan of the show and says something to us about what the show means to us and that that is extraordinary but you know looking out at a Loudon Swain audience at a gig and they're singing every word, every single word. The first time I saw the kazoos, I nearly wet myself laughing. I thought it was the greatest thing. And this, but this carries on, this carried on with our blooper reels. This carried on with our conduct on set. Right. This carried on with our conduct with each other. Explain the kazoos, Rob, so that we get people. Uh, we have a song called medicated and in the middle, there's a kazoo solo. And so fans Which would, would start forced you to do as the encore. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. And we'd have. And, and, forced you. I was like, "This is the greatest encore." Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we'd, and we'd bring the actors on stage. We'd bring actors on stage with the kazoos, and uh, anyway, there's a kazoo. But the song. audience had kazoo. The, the point was, the audience would bring out you. You bring the their own fifteen hundred kazoos, yeah. kazoos in the audience. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. By the way, not a COVID-friendly instrument, the kazoo. No, well, I'm not we, sure you know, we used to do this thing where we would go into the merch room on the middle of the day Saturday before we signed autographs and do medicated, and everybody would. And if you didn't have a kazoo, you just put your finger in your mouth and go. And it was this really fun thing. We cannot do that anymore. No, that is may not, not happening. No, yeah, you may not. not COVID. Not CDC a COVID says no more medicated from Lalo and Swain. Medicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly what they say. <laughs> you know, Mark, you always said something in your panel. Uh, because we you know we the band would come on to we'd, we'd intro you and then we'd come on the convention stage to t to outro you and you were always wrapping up with something regardless of how the hijinks that you had uh, pulled off in the middle of your panel how silly or serious or whatever it had been you always ended with one of these lines you would throw this in there and I always thought it was so well stated uh, I would love to know if it's your own or if it's something you picked up along the way but you you would always say I don't trust somebody who's not a fan of something. Like that's mine, and and I always thought that was so meaningful, especially everybody in the audience, because it's like for anybody who feels like it's us and them, for anybody who feels like I'm a fan of that person on the stage, ergo we are different. I always thought you oh. eloquently and simply made that not the case. You know what I mean? It was kind of it was kind of weirdly my job. Warner Brothers used me a lot to do that with DVDs and stuff, and and you know it would be my job to sort of codify certain aspects of it of the show. For, for public audiences. It was like, you know, we were given talking points or we were given things to do for the eight years that I was there. And the, the bottom line was, is the connection that the show has um, to its family <laughs> is so deep. And, and Warners was aware of this. And, and of course, CW is very aware of this. And we're all aware of it. And to disinclude them 
was disenfranchising the, the thing. I mean, Supernatural had, what, three, four million viewers? Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, I can't walk down the street no. now, yeah. years after I'm done, without somebody going, Crowley, or I love your work, yeah. or thank you. And, and you've got to remember the themes of what it was that we've been doing as actors and as director um, was a lot of those themes touch a lot of what is going on in the world right now. A lot of that stuff is a lot to do with mental health and brotherhood and, and families thicker than motor oil or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the fact that, that caring for each other is not a dirty word. Mm -hmm. uh, being honest with each other is not a dirty word. Calling, calling people out who are not doing well and, and literally putting your hand out and helping them. And, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff in Rob's songs, very personal stuff in Rob's songs that touches the hearts of those that have actually read his lyrics and scream his lyrics from the other side of the stage. You know what I mean? It's screaming at him. And it, it, it's a union. It's, you know, we don't exist without our audience. And I always used to say, um, with television, we make TV with 150 of our friends. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like everything we do, one, like one of my favorite moments ever in Supernatural is we did that, uh, we did that episode where all those geese were outside, Rich, when you were directing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, million geese sitting in a field right. in somewhere. It was really bizarre. And I was supposed to be projected through a door, right? right? So we do all these things. We think of all these things. We work on this stuff. I know what Rich wants to do. We had a light that kept going on and off, and we had all the rest of this crap going yeah. on. I mean, it was the middle of the night. It was freezing, and we're late, and we're doing all this stuff. But it's 150 of our friends. And we do that, and we finish it, and we wrap it up, and it's done. And then we give it out to post-production and then they make it better and they put the things in that make people laugh and they put these lovely little touches in but we don't know until we go to a convention we don't we haven't actually sat with our audience until we've gone to a convention right. and once we go to a convention that union that perfect union that we get on stage when we're playing happens with our audience in guest talks it happens with our audience one-on-one -on -one. it happens in a way that no other show has ever given me the opportunity to do right so, you know, the best gag in the world was I was sitting in Warner Brothers. I don't know if you know, I was sitting in Warner Brothers and uh, I had to do the ADR for me going through the wall. Okay. Or the barn okay. door. And or Corey had to hit the tractor. Remember yes. that? It's one of the best stunts I've ever said. Doesn't get any credit for that, but he literally traveled 20 feet into a tractor. Not, not a foam tractor, by the way, just a tractor. Oh, a, tractor. a Massey a Ferguson, tractor. From, no, from the no. 50s. It was like, it was a piece of metal. Wow, <laughs> and uh, and I thought I think this. I I got a funny feeling. I can make uh, I can make uh, Bob and Rich blow snot out of their noses. So I did the girliest scream I've ever done in my life, which was so perfect for Crowley, <laughs> which stayed in. It's my favorite. It's my favorite scream ever. It's my version of Wilhelm scream. Right. And I hope you steal it sometime and put it into something else. But that's what we do. That's the stuff that we do that we know how to do. That if it comes off, it's brilliant, yeah. etc. The stuff we do on stage, the stuff we do in a guest talk is about what is in front of us and what the communication is and how somebody's feeling. Uh -huh. And I used to get bored sitting on a stage being asked questions by somebody. And it's like, what's it like working with Jensen and Jared? And all this, you know, what's Misha like? Do you guys ever play pranks on each other? I mean, it's like, that's the endless thing. So I just used to jump the stage, go down and assault the audience. Right, right. You know what I mean, that's what I yeah. did. And that was the fun part of my day. Yeah. But the reason was, was to read the audience. The reason was, is to find out how they are. So the stuff I'm saying at the end is really understanding that I've just spent 45 minutes or an hour making fun with people. Mm -hmm. 
not of people, but with right. people. Mm-hmm. I make fun of people dressed as Misha, but that's that's just a running, long-running <laughs> right, right. gag. Yeah. But you're seeing them and you're in their faces and you see what's going on and people so nervous to ask a question they can barely breathe and people who have masses of issues, be it physical, be it mental, be it, be it just daily struggles, but people struggling to do this and they want to share their time with me. Mm-hmm. They want to come and be abused by me at a panel. Right. Um, my job and my duty is to try to codify that and try to make that an experience of some sort. Mm-hmm. So everything I used to say at the end, I thought it was really important to say, no matter how much fun we're having, you know, if you're struggling, get help. Those things, those things that we talk about all the right. time, mm-hmm. you know, you're not on your own. Right. But, but I didn't tend to, I don't tend to slogan things because I guess Crowley was a slogan, you know, a, a slogan queen, I guess, yeah. in the uh, in the supernatural world. It did have some great lines. Well, did you ever see that the last gig I did? I think it was either San Francisco or somewhere. The last one I did with you guys. Um was everybody held up paddles with a line of mine on it. Oh, it was wow. about 80 paddles. Yeah. And it was mind-blowing because the context kept coming to me. Right. So it, was, it wasn't the lines. Some of the lines are like hysterically funny. All the writers over the years have written great gags for me. But stuff, and it was just the connection. But again, the connection with the audience. Yeah. A lot of people... A lot of people wonder why I, I, I don't do the creation shows. And then the main reason you got to, people have to know the main reason why I didn't and the absolute truth of why I didn't and why I didn't want to, I was offered another year and I didn't take it. And it's because leaving the show, the, uh, which is my business with, with, um, with, with Bob and, and, and the rest, which is nothing to do with my, my fellow actors or anything else. Um, I didn't want my friends spending a year being asked questions about when am I coming back and, why was I killed or why was this happening? I didn't want Ruth, who I love with all my heart. I didn't want to do any panels with Ruth where they just constantly asked her questions about me. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, I didn't think it was fair for my friends. I'm happy my friends were working, so happy my friends were working and that they were doing so well and they were able to carry forward and, you know, 12, which I didn't think was a particularly great season, flipped really, you know, really well into a reboot. And, you know, my, my, my dearest friends managed to carry this forward and, and do another three years of, of great work. And I didn't need to be in the way. I literally would have been like a carbuncle on the side of it. Right. And I knew I was loved and I knew I was cared, but it was also bloody contentious because of, you know, gossip and, and people's ideas of what was going on. And the truth of the matter was it was time to take a break. Mm-hmm. And, and let my friends be my friends and do what they were doing, which was support a really good show that they were all still in. Yeah. You know, it did feel a little bit, bit like, you know, uh, we're all having a party. Everyone take one step forward, not so far, Shepard. Right. But, um, right. but it, there's, there's no animosity there. I was done. It was time to be done. I didn't want to come back and do bits. Yeah. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. And I hope nobody thinks it's about us. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we I mean, we've we've had our fights, we've had our ups, we've had our downs, but that's what happens when you spend you're on tour. 26 weeks yeah. with a year totally. with with your friends. Totally. And, right. and it's got nothing to do with it. It's like I love you all so dearly. And I enjoy and relish watching you continue and develop and, and, and adapt and watching Rich becoming successful doing something he loves with all his heart. And he's really damn good at it as well. I mean, really damn Thanks. good at it. And, uh, you know, that's the thing. And I never, I, I hate the idea that, that there's some sort of secret because there isn't. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting yeah. that you, you say know? that because I, I, 
I don't want to put words in Rob's mouth, but I never got the sense, whatever the exit strategy of, of Crowley was from the, or lack thereof exit strategy of Crowley from the show, I never felt like was visited on the con circuit. I never felt like there was a negativity to, you know, like because you're a beloved figure, and I never felt like that waned in the world of the convention. You know what I mean? Like, I, I never... It would have just been too complex. It would have just literally been the 800-pound gorilla in the room. It just would have been endless. It would have been an endlessly miserable experience for everybody having to answer questions about something that's still ongoing for my friends. And now it's done. Mm -hmm. And now everybody's in the same boat. Yeah. We are all part of something mm -hmm. that means an awful lot to not only us, but other people. Yeah. And that's a, a right. glorious and blessed yeah, thing. Yeah, and something know? that God way bigger than any of us could have imagined and you know what i mean i mean and and we we're on the air for the show was on the air for 15 seasons it's remarkable there wasn't more actual drama you yeah. know and i don't even, oh it's getting yeah i don't think what happened with you as particularly drama just it like you said it kind of had run its course and you were moving I, on. I, I, I was i was i was not that excited by what i was doing mm -hmm. And they were a little stuck on where they needed to go. And they had a very definite idea about what this next chapter was. Mm -hmm. And I think 90% of it was a money issue, to be absolutely honest. Right. And it was just like, I don't really want to go backwards. I'm on the poster, for God's sake. So I'm, I don't do windows. You right. know, I'm not going right. to come and do that. And it, I just thought it, it got not, it hadn't gone well, you know. But, you know, I, I called and thanked everybody. I thank my bosses and the powers that be. And they were all like, you know, you're welcome. Thank you for giving us what you gave us. Yeah. And I'm happy to have been part of something yeah. that we all built. Right. We all built this. Right. You Absolutely. know, I mean, look at my wedding, for God's sake. Yeah. My wedding was, it was the greatest example. Great the, last year, the last year of my working, people took their time off. Mm -hmm. From their vacation in Canada, yeah. from their vacations, they were going. Some people were going to Mexico. Those that could afford it, yeah. every single person was invited. With one every member. clear exception, one person said, "I wasn't invited." Tina that's and I not true. You were invited. No, I wasn't. Invited. You, I was directing did. the hardest episode, in the middle of prepping the episode, and was, uh, that was the. But I yes. did get my Mark out in time to get married. I remember, like that was my that was my wedding gift. <laughs> that's that was your wedding gift. Oh my god! Because um, Mark had a huge arc in that episode, and we we're like, yeah. And it was Mark, young Mark. It was flashback Crowley with clean shaven, and then we had like, I mean, the, yep. I had more conversations about Mark's stubble than I, I than I've had about having <laughs> children. I mean, it was it was long. And the the, the most amazing, you got to give credit to the boys too, is that Jared had the plane standing. Boy. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, you go, you got to go, you go, because yeah. you're getting married. We'll come, we'll come, coach. Yeah, you know. And that's the thing is like, you know, we had painters and accountants and grips and electric and camera and, and kids yeah. and people. And it's just, and that to me is the thing. And the great joke was, I mean, you understand the whole point of that was, is I, I went, how can I walk around a set? There's going to be people I've known for, for years who may not like me very much. I'm, I am an acquired taste at times, but there's people, you know, everybody knows me and is kind to me, but I'm not going to walk up to select groups of people and say, do you want to come to my wedding? So I, so I said to my wife, I said, I said to Sarah, I said, I said, what do I do? And she said, invite them all. Hmm. I walked out and sat one day and just went, okay, I'm getting married this day. Everyone cheered. And I said, you're all invited. If you get there, you get there and we'll take care of you. And everybody showed up in black tie. I mean, it was mind blowing. Yeah, that's to awesome. me. yeah. I had to rent it's a black tie, but I was there. You look superb. <laughs> um, I want to circle back. <laughs> did, did, to Robin, did, did anybody toss you their keys and go, 
Don't park it near anything. Uh. <laughs> Jason, Jason would have done. It was the only time I've driven a Porsche. Um, so uh, what, I got to circle back to the hamster story because we didn't finish that. And for the people that don't know what we're talking about. Okay. So I'm backstage at Comic-Con. Rich, this is a bad idea. Then, Rich, why don't you take us through what, what happened next? Well, Rich. for starters, do you have the hamster? Like, is the hamster there in your office? I it exists somewhere. It used to be. It used to be. It was at our old office. Yeah. Well, let me they, look as you're telling the story. So the hamster was a you character heard. where where Crowley had 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 zapped a, a witch into the body of a hamster. That that had been the story. Oh, one of my greatest times ever was talking to a hamster in a tank well, with a with a necklace around it and doing right tank. exactly. So you had like you did your hamster was your co-star. So Rob and I thought it'd be great to have the hamster make an appearance. So we. You know, got Amazon to send us the closest approximation of a stuffed hamster. Yeah. And and Rob did the puppetry, uh -huh. and I did the voice. And it, right. and the the hamster, which no no ah! one knew, but the hamster is from a little area, little section of Brazil uh -huh. where there's a strong cool. French Mexican influence. <laughs> no, no, no. It was no Italian, Argentinian. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very yeah. very niche neighborhood. Very niche. Uh, no one ever knew and that. And it kept but... changing between the yes, two. Yes, it did. Yeah. Well, it was yeah. nervous. And uh, so Rich bent down beneath me, so I'm just at the podium holding <laughs> holding this guy, the hamster. And, and I'm doing, uh, and I'm I'm doing sorry, the hamster. I'm sorry, just makes me laugh like God, a God, it was super funny. Yeah, I was crying. Yeah. I was literally and, and, crying. And, and, and so the, the amazing thing, like we said, we had we had these plans. What would how would Mark react? And a Mark Mark immediately, like a brilliant like uh, improv artist, went right with it. Just right. yes, ended the bit, and and started talking to the hamster, and it was brilliant. <laughs> it was really, and it put us immediately at ease because we were in front of six thousand people. It was your first, yeah, time, first doing time doing it. Which, by the way, it a lot of people so thought good. was a terrible idea. Like we, you know, again, I remember Holly Ollis was nervous. She's like, "So can you walk me through the bits?" I'm like, "No." I love Holly. Oh, she's great. God bless her. And, and then she they, let us do it. Every year they would do this, but the first year it was especially nerve wracking. They would say the things we can't talk about. Yeah. Oh Lord. Um, and that was the list. The list and the list of things and the talking points. They had talking points, but they they would have a list of things we couldn't talk about. And some were so obtuse that had they never mentioned it, it wouldn't have been in our brain. But now we're like, oh, my yeah. God, whatever you do, don't say Missouri Mosley. Now they're stuck in you your know? head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're like, like you do, you don't realize. mention Missouri Mosley. We're like, who the hell is Missouri Mosley? <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't? Uh, my, my favorite was the fact, you got to remember that, that Misha and I used to have to go out there on Friday and, and arrive there and stay there and then do the press for the year. So after eight years, we were bored out of our minds trying to find things to do. And so all the great photographs of me and Misha and all the great little snippets of me and Misha are from literally doing 12 hours a day of Warner Brothers talking points to 150 different sources. Right. And the boys would come out on the next day and do that. And then everybody would, you know, bar me, would go out and have a drink after we'd done the, the, the big deal. And then we'd go over to Nerd HQ and those were the ones that were insane. I mean, that was just, we got horses' heads. And, right. I mean, you'd have to watch, if you haven't watched them, watch them. But it was, you know, we, we, we do, the big thing about, about the Supernatural um, uh, announcement, uh, Hall H announcement, was the story so far. So we would show the clips of what we'd just been doing. And we were now, what, we'd be in episode four or something by the time we got there. It was always about episode four. Yeah. So we only had stuff from one, two, three, and four. And they would cut a reel to show a teaser of where we were going. 
And I, I, it was just so much fun to do. Yeah. And people stayed up all night and yeah. queued outside. And Misha used to send pizza to them yeah. all. And it was just, it was, an, it was a monumental it thing. Was. For a show that was so small yeah. in yeah. conventional footprint, it has such a massive impact on so many right. people. I wanted to ask you guys something. How did you meet? Ooh. Oh, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Rob and I, the actual, like, I think we, we crossed paths in our life just being of similar type and auditioning, you know, for, for similar things. But we really met in the supernatural world. I think we got paired to do a convention, got paired to do a panel together. Like, wasn't that it? No, no, actually before that, I mean, yes, we did. We had, we have, we tell it as a funny story, but we, our paths crossed a lot. Um, I, I, I shot a, a sitcom that he was friends with the showrunner. We'd. Different things. Yeah, I, we would uh, just bump into each other in bump the, into in each the other industry. And, yeah, I knew were. him as this big commercial actor. If Rich was in the waiting room. You audition for commercials. You're like, well, I'm out. If this guy's gonna get it. Um, <laughs> but you say that about everybody, <laughs> Rob. It doesn't true. matter. Even like some 94 year old lady sitting next yeah, to you. Like, I'm out. I'll never get this. Stronger <laughs> choice. <laughs> so then, um, then Rich and I, uh, the band played a one-off show at the Burbank Convention, out by the airport. Right. And Rich was there. And kind of a, 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 watched our show, and then stood in line with the rest of the fans to get our autograph afterward, and got it came up to our table and was like, "Hey, I'm rich. It's really you How guys." How much really you charge What's that? Yeah, I still have that. He's it's very rich. expensive. How much did you charge him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Norton wouldn't personalize. You know what I mean? Like everybody else, <laughs> dear rich. Norton's like, "Sorry, buddy." Yeah, but that was because he's a drummer and he can't. That's that, because he's a drummer and he can't. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and that was when we kind of officially. But then, Rich and I, um, I, the, I remember bonding with him and going, "Oh wow, this guy and I really get it in the same way." We were in Rome. It was the first year I was in Rome, and you were there too, Mark. Uh, but that's exactly right, man. Rich and I, I re- got there you know early. That's right. We both ended up walking around Rome mm-hmm. to kill time, like mm-hmm. a jet lagged day of like, mm-hmm. let's just go and walk and not yep. not walk. And I yeah, think Sebastian was a part of that and Sebastian. Group. And I and I, you're exactly right. And that's what I remember thinking, shit, man, this guy's funny. And our senses of humor seem to like complement each other. Like mm-hmm. I was like, very you know, much was, so. I mean, you two are fantastic with each other. It's, I mean, we're all we're all good at doing what we need to do, um, to 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 keep the funny going. But you guys have something special there, which you've always had, which I love. Well, thank you. And it's, I love that it turned into, you know getting you up on stage and singing, which you, you sort of decried doing for a long time. Yeah. 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 You, you were, a, you were really kicking and screaming. I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so honestly, good. like you, Mark, like I'd been in bands, but it'd been, I didn't have your musical career, but I had been in bands as a young man, but it'd been years. Like I had stopped. Yeah. I, I stopped as soon as I started, as soon as JC and I started having children, I stopped playing music. Really? Yeah. So it had been 10 years since I'd, done anything on a stage with anybody and my entire musical career had been based on the idea that i bet i get i bet i can wrangle free beer out of this like it was, it was never like the rich bait show it was like me and five guys going if they give us a couple of pictures you guys want to play five hours yeah okay and that's what we would do and we were cover bands yeah, like we, were the, we weren't loud and swain we were playing all the blues of everything you know, old old rock and stuff in, from college forward, we'd, we'd like have the occasional original, but basically that's not what we did. We were, we were a band, like play whatever. So have you, have you done the, uh, um, the, this question is for Jim bit? No, I don't think we've ever done the, this question not on the is podcast, for Jim. No. To, no, 
It's the greatest. It's a great I, bit, I, I, it, it's, and it's one of Rob's. Uh, <laughs> hi, I mean, on the highlight reel for Rob Benedict, and, and <laughs> there's something our audience should know because they see a lot of happy-go-lucky Rob on this podcast and my show. But there's nothing funnier than an angry Rob. There's nothing funnier than an angry Rob. And you know I'm right, Rob, because there's like when you get mad, dude. That's when the that's when the speed bumps come out and the comedy is going boom, 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 boom. Start. He starts shaking. He gets 40 times oh, fuck, faster. Yeah. That'd be part of my French. The pitch goes up. It's so yeah. good. And that's when he was an old, just so you know, the original, <laughs> this question is for Jim, audience of one, me, because we uh -huh. were on an airplane and uh -huh. he had a meltdown because, when he found out I the found Ross, that he wasn't invited to Brazil. Right. But Jim Michaels just, was. For the Brazil, yes, for the Brazil convention. <laughs> he had an Producer absolute apoplectic was. meltdown. <laughs> And did a bit that I literally had to ring the flight attendant because I would, lost my ability to breathe. I'm like, I was dying. It was genius. So off we go. All right. I was like, Come on. Rob, explain. And, yeah. So the, 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 I was like, I was like, what are they going to ask Jim? You know. And and I well, you got to set. You got to who's Jim? Like you're giving the whole scenario right, so for everybody. G so Jim Michaels is the line producer, right? Dear friend, lovely of all fella. Dear friend, lovely man. Um, but the line producer of Supernatural and. Um, and he was on the roster of the people that were going to be in Brazil. And I just, I couldn't imagine like what, why, how that was more. Because typically for people who haven't gone to cons, it's usually actors are actors, the guests. Right. Actors. And I wanted to go to Brazil. <laughs> and so they. Uh, going up already. It's going up <laughs> <yeah>. already. <laughs> and so I was like, what are they going to ask him? You know? And, and, and so I started doing this bit, which is essentially, you know, <laughs> this person in the audience who knows, I know everything about making TV shows. So they're like, you know, uh, oh, my God, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, by the way, Rich does this so much better than me. And that's why we've say <laughs> I, I, the bit got spaded from me. Yeah. Rich took the idea and he ran with it and made it. Uh, I, first of all, I, I, that's not true, because to this day, Eugenie of Bob and Eugenie says, oh, I heard Rob do the original because Eugenie heard the story. And she right. wanted to hear the original. She wanted to go back and hear the original. You know, she heard somebody else covering Satisfaction right. and then found out it was a Stones tune. You know, she wanted to go back and hear the original. <laughs> and she, and she, wherever you did the bit for her, she returned uh -huh. to set going, he's a genius. You can pack it away. <laughs> like, anyway, yeah, it's a person who, knows, who asks these questions. Have, have, but my question is for Jim. Like, I, I, you know, Misha, huge fan, Jensen, Jared, everybody else. But, but my question is for Jim. Um, you know, and then proceeds to ask Jim some some TV making question. And anyway, Richard was in was was rolling with laughter. And then you know, as soon as we as soon as we all got back together again, Rich told the story as as his own. And um, no, no, you know, not it, true. I always gave you credit. I always gave you credit. That, I would always say like Benedict did this bit on the plane, and it killed me. And, no, I, it to Jim, Jim was crying. well. This is where you're a well, nutbag. Shepard, because you are like, we're doing it in the green room of Brazil and it's destroying. I'm like, oh my God, I love you so much, but you know, and doing the whole thing. Cause Rob, when Rob did it, he did this high voiced fan. It's like, uh, next question. Ah, uh, I just want to say it's so wonderful to have you in my country. And then, awesome. It was like, it's like staring at pure light, Jared. Your hair looks like Jesus himself. Did your, your wig. But my question is for Jim. Uh, <laughs> Jim, when you're working with the techno crane, but uh, you do not have a union operator now, given it's an indie, but you pawned it up the big box for the big toy. So, here comes a union rep, 
and you need them like you need a second asshole. So what do you do? Do you put the pin in the whole show plan? Or do you say, yeah, no problem, and you put the fake weird and big beard and wig on your non-union operator and have them sneak in the back door and do the shunt anyway? You know, like, they're trying to ask the most and technical. And then we just go on, we, you know, we yeah. like, so you get goldenrod pages that morning, and the it studio's all, breathing down. It had, the more technical the question, yeah. the better the bit. And it kept doing it. It was so specific. So specific. It was like, it was to do with overtime yeah. hours yeah. and right, right. things So we're sure that day for night. But, but, but Richard, tell, tell what, what, what Jim's well, reaction then, was. Well, then, well, then Shepard goes, we're doing this bit in the green room in Brazil. And we all end up in a van, and Shepard turns to me like an a-hole and goes, hey, Jim's in the van. And he goes, hey, Rich, do my question is for Jim, for Jim. It was never on my never on my battle plan to do the bit for Jim <laughs> because it was Rob, like, venting about it. Like, so I'm like, oh, man. And I literally sort of flop sweating. I'm like, I, I, I don't know. And, and Mark's like, come on, it's going to kill. Which is always a death sentence, by the way. As soon as somebody says, your bit's hilarious. hilarious, do it for yeah. the guy it's about. It, it killed. It literally killed. He was crying. But don't forget the first thing he said. I go, I did the bit, and I'm like, and he's like, did your location scout get a uh, waiver? I mean, like, he literally, he, <laughs> he, he asked, like, he had a question. real question. I'm like, Jim, that's not the, that, you're, it's a, it's a fictional <laughs> That's why it was no real. <laughs> I mean, his answer was technical. He's like, "Well, walk me through how many background you got." Uh... You know, actually, that's a Bob Singer question. I can't. Uh... Now that's the rule. Now people begin to understand what the rule is. If it's funny, you do it. If somebody hands you the ball, you got two choices: you look at it or you pass the ball. Yeah, you know? yeah. I got you, Mark teed me up for one of my funnier bits in France where Mark literally came out and I mean this is how to steal focus without saying I'm going to steal focus Mark came out and laid down on the sofa no between two well, chairs I mean, but like completely eliminating my ability to sit <laughs> and <laughs> took over and I'm like what are you doing and and he goes <laughs> and, and back, backstage he had said I'm going to do this thing I'm like oh cool he went on to say, didn't do that thing, did a whole different thing, and he laid out on the thing, and I'm like, what the hell? So then I'm like, shit, I got it. So I went in the audience, and that's when the excuse moi excuse moi excuse moi excuse moi bit came from, which is me scooting through the audience, which they thought was hilarious. 35 minutes of school French. 35 minutes of school French. It was so yeah. good. And I just sat there, laying on my back with a microphone occasionally, I go, no. Yeah. And that he, was it. And, 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 I, and I, I came off, sweated through my clothes, do, like <laughs> doing my excuse me a bit, doing all the heavy lifting. We came off stage and said, Mark, you mofo. I literally had to do all the work in that panel. And he looked at me dead serious and said, You're welcome. <laughs> because, because it had been really funny. <laughs> it, had, it had paid off. But it was. Well, there's a rule. If you're funny or you're good or you're what, you know, that's the point. That's the whole point. Yeah. The band was too good to be doing covers. Um, you know, the, the actors are too funny to be doing yeah, written, boring, boring, yeah. run-of-the-mill stuff. And it's whoever got, you know, going with it was Well, I will say you know? that that's I, having seen how the model started and where it went in the convention world, where it's like one guy in a stool answering mundane questions, turn, turning to the right, then turning to the left. And, you know, it's just that energy's vacuum you know by the time we were doing this really well 
it was a well, it was fun. You know what I mean? It's very improv with I anybody. Think, Obviously, Rob and me together. It, but and it comes down to the common denominator, which is we owe the audience. And we trust each other. The, like, that, that's the other thing. Yeah. No matter who you got paired with, you're like, okay, I, I, whatever. We'll make this is, we've never been paired before. Cool. We'll mix this up. Right. Now, Mark, you used it to say something cool. else that I wanted to bring up, bring up because I thought it was really cool. You were always such a proponent way before this volatile series of elections of the last, you know, four to six years, you've always been such a vocal proponent of people getting involved in politics, in local politics, which I always thought was really cool. You always used your platform as a performer and a man who had a microphone and an audience to always, again, wrap up your session with, yeah, vote for president, but also vote for councilman. Vote for your local people. School board. Yeah. School Pay board. attention to what's going yeah. on and vote. Because you always say, like, I'm a, I'm a new American. I was, a, you know, like, and you would use that. A newly minted American. Always just say newly minted American. And listen, uh, before anybody gets weird about this or whatever, you have to understand that the basis of this is I think America is the greatest country in the world. I do. And, and I've thought that for many, many years. And we have our faults and we have our issues and we have our stuff. And we're sometimes we're an elephant and... We get going and it's really hard to steer or it's really hard to change anything that we do. But it is still the greatest country in the world, just from the uh, just from the possibilities, just from the sheer ability for us to do it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know, Americans are, you know, Flight 93. They're the three service people on a train in France. They're the people you tell an American what is going on. He gets up and he does something about it. That's the way it's been. And that's what I've always looked up to. I've lived in other countries. I've lived in socialist countries. I've lived in all sorts of, of, of different places in, in Europe. Right. And the truth of it is, is our system, as, as fallible as it can be, is still the best system in the world. And it's, but it's made up and it's bigger than the sum of its parts. And so my talking about voting is not specifically about voting for somebody that I, I like. 100%. And, and I should have said it's that. About, it was it, never party No, no, but it's party vital persistent. to me. It's that I will fight for your right to right. vote. Mm-hmm. Because when I, was, when I was made an American, there was a, a president, our first black president, 40 feet high, giving us a message and say, right, you've got all these rights. What are you going to do about your responsibilities? And your responsibilities, your civic duties, your community duties, all the rest of this stuff. How can we help? Because that's a lot of what has gone away. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of stuff going on. But we are people that when we help, a change comes. And when you've been part of the supernatural family as long as we have, we see it actually working. We have seen it working. Mm-hmm. As simple as, as you know, a phone call between you two uh, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of a lot of other shows where that phone call wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I can think of a lot of other circumstances where that wouldn't have happened, but not on this show, not with these people, not with, not with the way that goes. And, you know, as I say, I've said it many times in conventions, it's like, you know, somebody falls over in a convention, 50 people go to help them in a supernatural convention. And then somebody will shout, stand back, give them some room. Cause that's usually over, over appreciated, but there's people there who understand the people who care. And it's, and it's by being vocal about what has happened to ourselves, it covers all the spectrum. It's political. It's socio-political. It's, it's, but it's inclusive. It's such an inclusive thing. There's, there's, we don't give a damn about sex and gender, and we do give a damn about the fights over it. But we do do not give a damn about your sex, your gender, who you sleep with, who you love, 
um, who you vote for, but that's not what it's about. It never has been. And, and it's the most egalitarian system I've ever seen is, is the microcosm of the supernatural family within, you know, this great system of ours. And, and I think it's our duty, you know, those of us who care and though, to encourage others to participate in their own future mm -hmm. and their own present, whether they believe it's going to change something or not, whether they is not the point. Mm -hmm. The point being is to encourage people to take an active part in things that can help change their lives and help change other people's right. lives. We see so much kindness. We see so much care in Supernatural. We see people having panic attacks. We see people having medical issues. And, and immediately are helped. It's not, you know, somebody else's issue. It's our issue. So I think maybe, maybe you're, you're, one could say that your comment about getting involved is more than just about politics, because you're right. It was never about parties. It was never about, and that's what I admired about it. It was never like, vote for my guy. It was pay attention, care, get involved. And I guess yeah. that you could kind of use that approach to so many facets of life. That's why it's such a... I think so. I think, that's a, I think that's a universal mm -hmm. message. And, you know, the trouble is, is we've lost a lot of the ability to discourse. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I unfortunately believe is deliberate. I think it's, it makes certain bad things easier to do when people aren't talking to each other. Mm -hmm. I find when this country, you know, with a, a strong GOP and a strong Democratic Party, um, things get done in a very different way. And I find that, that, that it's become the politics of shouting mm -hmm. a lot and, and actually not doing anything, which appalls me because we have such ability, such power, such money, such, you know, and, and we do generally, we have, we have a country full of concerned people. I mean, I travel out, out to the, you know, to the poorest places in the world where I see the kindest people in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems to only get, only change when it's about, you know, don't scratch my really expensive car right, or, right. Don't get off my lawn. Right. Who are you? What are you doing here? And we, when we're not like that, when we when we're encouraged to not be like that, we're in, all embracing and we're all uh, we're helpful and we're, we're people that care about each other. And I, you know, I'm sober. God, coming up 32 years. Amazing. And I saw it in AA for 32 years, and I see it in supernatural conventions, and I see it, but I do see it dribbling out, and I do see the positivity of that. Mm. So you know, and I urge you. As a true statement, it's like, I don't care who you vote for. I care that you read up who they are, who they're supported by, where the money's going, do your due diligence, look at your stuff and see who the right person is for you. That's the most important part. You know, but voting against your own interest is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. And, and in a country that's so powerful and so able, that's what frustrates yeah. me more than anything else. You know, yeah. and well said. your interest may be different than mine. Well said. Well. Mark Shepard, thank you so much, man, for doing this. Uh, long overdue. Pleasure, my brother. Um, yeah. 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 And, we, and we, we, sorry it's been so long. We love having you on. We, we, we love you. We love your work. We love all the experiences we've had together and uh, yes. so happy to know you. And Have you watched Doom Patrol uh, yeah, yet? Yeah, I'm a big yeah. I love Doom Patrol and you're great on Doom Patrol. I hope, I hope you get a chance to come and play with us, uh, either yes, of you, actually. Well, we, we both love to. We've got a very favorable boss. We've got a very favorable boss. I hope you're pitching for well, that. I, we are, we are, um, we would both uh, chomp at the bit to be involved because it's a great show. Truly a great show. If you haven't seen Doom Patrol, everybody check it out. Please check it out. Yeah. Mark Shepard, everybody. Happiest of holidays. Happy New Thank Year. You, Mark. Best sure. to your family. Love to your family. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much buddy. for being a part of this. All right. All the best. Cheers. It's a king's a king.